I know because of time, I'm a little bit of a shorter message than normal this morning, uh, but just to open up with, I'll share you a story from last week. If you think this is cold, last week I was in Barrel. Now, let me tell you, that is a cold place. And for one particular reason, I'll tell you why, is on Tuesday night, I uh, registered for a photography walk. So you walk around, Vivid is on at the moment, by the way, in Sydney, so they light up the Opera House and a whole lot of other buildings. And so uh, I registered for this walk, 6.30 to 8.30 Tuesday evening. So I asked the uh, principal at the Bible school where I used, to work, I used to be, could I borrow the bus and drive to Campbelltown? He said, yep, that's no problem. Catch the train from Campbelltown down to Circular Quay. Be ready there at 6.30, which I was. And so we walked around. There was a group of us, probably about 20, I think, who walked around taking photos of the Opera House and other buildings. Supposed to finish at 8.30. Well, at 9.30, we're still up there in the Carl Expressway. If you know Sydney, you know where that is, taking photos. And I'm thinking, I've got to get back to Barrel. I've got to get back to Barrel tonight. It was about six degrees. It was absolutely freezing. It was windy. So I went down and I caught the train from Circular Quay back to Campbelltown and on the way back to the station I had this thumping headache, really, really bad headache. So I arrived at the Bible school at 11.30, it was about two degrees by then, and rushed upstairs to the bedroom thinking to myself, I'll have a quick shower, hot shower, jump into bed and I'll sleep off this headache. Didn't happen because half an hour later, I'm wide awake, I'm staring at the ceiling, and it's becoming worse. So now I'm thinking, what should I do? What should I do? I don't want to wake anybody up. It's after midnight. Oh, I know, when I was principal here, there used to be a first aid kit down in the kitchen. So I'll go down to the kitchen and have a look at the first aid kit. Of course, I was in my pyjamas. And just in case anybody else was walking around the kitchen at half past 12 in the morning, I thought I'd better change my clothes. So I changed my clothes and went down to the kitchen. No first aid kit. How can you have a kitchen with no first aid kit? So came back upstairs, changed my clothes again, hopped back into bed, lay there for another half hour, headache still, bang, 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 bang. And then I had a thought. I used to keep a first aid kit in the bus that I just hopped out of, change my clothes, run up to the bus. It's now about one degree. Check out the bus in the dark, looking in the glove box, looking in the back of the seat for this first aid kit. No first aid kit. Come back, change my clothes again, hop back into bed. Another half hour. I'm staring at the ceiling and I'm thinking to myself, I just can't wait till the morning, right? It's two, it's two, my headache's too strong. The only thing I can do is go to the hospital. Jump out of bed, change my clothes again, rush up to the bus, drive into Barrel at about, would have been about 2.15, I think, by then. Went to the hospital, emergency department. Nurse came to the front. I said, all I'm after is two Panadol. That's it, just two Panadol. I'll be all good. No, we can't give you two Panadol. I said, why is that? Because I told her I had a headache. She said, you might be having a stroke. You'll need to come inside for a full examination. <laughs> I'm thinking, it's 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, I'm freezing cold. Where do I find two Panadol? 
So I went in and she took my blood pressure and then she came out. There's a glass of water and the two Panadol, two Panadol are right there. I said, as soon as I have this, can I go home? No, 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 you've got to stay for another half hour because we'll need to make sure that your blood pressure has gone down a little bit. Another half an hour, got back into the Bible school about 3.20 a.m., changed my clothes, jumped back into bed again. And I tried to pull a curtain and the curtain wouldn't move and the bedroom faces east. So you know what happens, right? Six o'clock in the morning, the bright sun coming in. So I'm thinking, this isn't cold. The weather that we're having now today, this is not cold. I'll tell you, I've already told you what cold is. All right, shortened message today. We're starting a new series on Isaiah, just looking at some selected chapters. Obviously, I can't do all 66 chapters. We'll be here for years but uh, looking at some chapters. So reading from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, offspring who do evil, children who deal corruptly, who have forsaken the Lord, who have despised the Holy One of Israel, who are utterly estranged. Why do you seek further beatings? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and bleeding wounds. They have not been drained or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire in your very presence. Aliens devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And daughter Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a shelter in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hand, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Come, now let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. 
just to give us a little bit of background for the book as we head into this series on Isaiah. I've never preached from Isaiah before, so this is all new for me. The name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh's salvation, or the salvation of Yahweh. That's Isaiah's name. And the root of his name also is the root of the two names Joshua and Jesus. Jesus. The book as a whole, the book of Isaiah, is a testimony to the fact that salvation is not found in good works in any way, but in belief in the Lord our God. That to rely on good works, in fact, is folly, is useless. To be saved, you must have faith and have faith in God. Sometimes the book of Isaiah is called the Gospel of Isaiah because more than any other prophet, he tells about the coming of the Messiah, the one who is to come. Well, what do we know? What do we know about this man? His father's name is Amos. He had a wife, Isaiah, but her name is not given in the book, but she's called a prophetess, which means either that she was a prophet also or that she was married to Isaiah the prophet. And these two had two sons. Chapter 7, verse 3, Shea Jashub. His name means a remnant will return. And then Maher Shalahal Hashbaz. That's it, chapter 8, verse 3. Been practicing that all night. Uh, his, his name means the spoils, the spoils speeds, the prey hastens. And in chapter 6, as we will get to, we have the call of Isaiah. It's told for us in verse 1 that Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four Assyrian kings and during the reign of the seven last kings of the northern kingdom. Israel. So his prophecies stretch from somewhere around about 780 to 722 BC. If you love poetry, well, Isaiah is your man. Because apart from four chapters and just a small, a few others, minor passages, the whole book of Isaiah is written in Hebrew poetry. If I knew Hebrew better, I'd say some of it for you. And chapters 1 to 5 introduce the themes that we'll see for the rest of the book. Now sometimes, of course, I'm sure we know this, that the Lord placed strange requests on some of his prophets. And in Isaiah chapter 20, God says to Isaiah that he is to walk around naked with no shoes on his feet for three years. Too cold for that, that's for sure. We're not certain how he died, but Jewish tradition says that he was put in a log and that he was cut in half by King Manasseh. In fact, Hebrews 37 says, speaking about the time of Isaiah, that the old, old, some Old Testament saints, saints were sawn asunder. We can't definitely say that happened to Isaiah, but it certainly took place when he was alive. So maybe, maybe that's how he finished his life. We come to chapter 1 here, and if you can imagine the scene of a court, a court situation, God is the judge, and God is the plaintiff, and Israel, the nation of Israel, is on trial. And as witnesses, God calls 
heaven and earth to give testimony. You really couldn't get anybody great or anything greater, could you? The Israelites are likened to the children, the children of the Lord, that God had brought them up and nourished them, first as a child, then as a young adult, and then growing into maturity. God's desire would be that his children be great, that he had placed them in a position of greatness where they would be dominant, all based on their relationship with him. And so Israel is pictured as a slave, as a child, sorry, when they are in slavery in Egypt, growing into the teenage years when they are in the wilderness, then as they come into the promised land as a young adult, and then under King David and King Solomon as a mature adult. But the people rebelled against God. They actively, with full knowledge and understanding of the consequences, turned away from him. In verse 4, we have seven, seven charges, would you believe? Verse 4, the Israelites have, have behaved as if they did not know God. They were called to be a holy nation, but instead have become a sinful nation. The people have been laden with crookedness and perverseness. Instead of being the true seed of Abraham, they have become the spiritual seed of evil. Instead of being God's children, they are now acting corruptly. Having forsaken God, they've walked away from his laws and their hearts are filled with apostasy. Not only was apostasy in their hearts, they've despised the Lord to the extent that now they even blaspheme him. Not only was apostasy in their hearts and mouths, they turned away from the Lord and their actions showed it. Well, God says, you turn away from me, Israel, this is what will happen and desolation came their way. And he says to them, if you continue in your ways, even more destruction will come. You're like a body that's sick from the very soles of its feet right up to the top of its head. I wanted to save you from the picture. But instead of a healthy body, there were wounds, welts and open sores. It's not a pretty picture, is it? Interestingly, some of those exact same words are used by Isaiah in chapter 53 to describe what will happen to the Messiah. The cities within Israel have been burned and destroyed. Once this mighty nation that the other nations held in awe have now been reduced from a mighty house to just a cottage only Jerusalem is the city that has survived and Sennacherib has come in and destroyed 48 cities and taken away 200,000 Jews the only thing left for this nation is to throw herself on the mercy of God for God declares if you don't even more destruction is coming your way 
Or she may try to defend herself by scrupulously obeying all the requirements of the sacrificial system. But she hadn't heard the words of Samuel. We know these words, don't we? When he had said it to King Saul. It is better to obey than sacrifice. Outward conformity is no substitute for inward conformity. And then we read how God had been fed up. Fed up with their burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed beasts, the blood of bullocks and lambs and goats. There was to be no more bringing of meaningless offerings for the weekly Sabbaths and for the monthly new moons. God hated all of this. When the people came to him offering prayers, frantic and numerous, but with no love in their heart for him, he turned his ear away. He couldn't listen to their prayers. They'd murdered so many others. Wash your hands, wash your feet. It's never going to satisfy the Lord's while their hands remained blood-stained with all that they had done. And Isaiah asks the question of the people here, where is your faith and obedience? Where is your doing of justice and loving righteousness? For proper worship requires repentance. To come to the Lord, the people needed to purify themselves of their sins, turn from their sin, and receive God's forgiveness. Stop doing evil, says Isaiah. And now instead seek the things that brings the Lord great joy. Seek justice. The word here means devote yourself to a thing or issue with zeal. Relieve the oppressed. Find the one who's doing the oppression and reprimand them. Judge the fatherless. Take care of the orphans. And plead for the widow. As I mentioned in our series on Ruth, the Lord has a special place in his heart for widows. Take care of them. Give them special protection. There, there is your true worship. In verse 18, if Israel does this, what she, will she find? She'll find forgiveness in the Lord, mercy in the Lord, way beyond perhaps she could ever expect. Ever expect. And Isaiah uses two, two illustrations. He says, your sins, though they be as scarlet, shall be white as snow. Red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Both snow and wool, naturally white. Do this, blessings will flow, physical blessings. You shall eat of the good of the land. But the warning, if you do the opposite, you shall be devoured by the sword. So this morning is about forgiveness. 
the Lord's forgiveness to each of us. Forgiveness is in the very heart of God and it is throughout all of Scripture. Yet many times I think perhaps when we think about forgiveness, we think about I'm the one, I'm the one receiving forgiveness. But there's a great cost and there's always a cost to forgive another person. To forgive another person who has hurt you deeply means taking that hurt deep inside of you, absorbing it, letting it die and show love in return. Forgiveness holds no resentment, bears no grudges, keeps no record of wrongs. The past is the past, we move on. It was Jesus who said at the Last Supper as he took the cup, this is the new covenant established in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. It was Jesus who on the cross himself prayed for those who had just put the nails in his hands and his feet. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. God is a forgiving God. When we come into that wonderful truth and experience to know that all of our sin, past, present and future, has been forgiven, the slate has been wiped clean. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul writes and says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that word no is no of any kind, any kind. God does not condemn you. In Christ, in Christ himself, we find forgiveness full and free. In Jesus, we have the promise and assurance that our sins are remembered no more. It's never that God forgives and forgets. God can't forget. If God forgets, that means that he doesn't know everything. The Lord chooses. He willfully chooses I remember your sin no more. Oh, what a great word. I shared this story a few years ago. I hope you don't mind if I share it again. But for me, it's like, pictures the best, the best story of all the stories I have of forgiveness. Major Ian Thomas, who started the Cape and Ray Ministry, 1948, 1947 in England. Ministry that's now gone to 25 Bible schools internationally around the world, where I was last week, by the way, in Australia. And his son Peter, he told me this story, so it comes from him himself. And Peter tells me that he grew up at Cape and Ray Hall, that he was about 15 years of age. They had 180 guests coming along to hear Bible teaching for that week. Peter was a bit bored, a bit of a loose end, so he went to the property manager and he said to the property manager, is there anything I can do, anything I can do to help out? And the property manager thought for a moment, he said, well, maybe, Peter, you can help me out. He said, at the top of the tower, there's a water tank, and in that water tank, there's a piece of timber. He said, would you mind going up to the top of the water tank there and taking that piece of timber out and bringing it down here to the shed. 
So Peter is a 15-year-old boy, climbs up. This is the top of the tower, by the way, this picture here. Go around a circular staircase. I've been up it. You climb up the top of the tower there, and then there, there's this water tank. And so Peter went up the ladder, and he opens the lid, and there's this piece of timber in there. So he takes the piece of timber out. Then he thought to himself, how do I get this down? Oh, instead of going back down the circular staircase, it'd be easier just to throw it over the edge. So he looks over. This is the exact scene, right? He looks over and there's 180 people enjoying morning tea in the courtyard. There's a picture of the courtyard, not the 180 people, you realise. And he thinks to himself, it's no good, I can't throw it over there. So he goes to the other side of the tower and there's a much smaller courtyard. I'll throw it. And so he throws this piece of timber over, not realising that there was an electrical lead that went from one building to the other. And the piece of timber came down on that electrical lead and it bounced back up into the air and went and fell through the glass roof. And underneath the glass roof were all the trolleys laid out for lunch for that day. An almighty crash, can you imagine? Staff running out of the kitchen, wondering what's just happened, what's just happened, looking at the, all this beautiful food all laid out with glass shards all through it, all had to be thrown away. How did Peter feel? I've got to tell Dad. He went down to Major Thomas's office there, that's his father, and his father came out of the office to see what had just happened. Now, I don't know why he did this, but he said to Peter, just sit outside my office for 20 minutes. Peter probably thinking, I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my life. Then after 20 minutes, Major Thomas brought him in, sat him office at his desk. This is his 15-year-old son. And Peter, not knowing what the consequence would be, his father said this, I've never liked that glass roof. <laughs> In fact, I've wanted to replace it for quite a while. You've actually done us a favour, Peter. You're free to go. You're free to go. That's forgiveness holds no grudges, keeps a record of no wrongs. You're free to go. There might be someone here this evening and you just need to hear that message. God is saying to you today, you are free. Don't carry that burden any longer. You are free. I have forgiven you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, what a blessed people we are, Lord, to know forgiveness deep in our hearts. Lord, all of our sin, past, present and future, the slate wiped clean, though they were scarlet, they are now white as snow. No condemnation of any kind. And, Lord, blessings in abundance. 
Lord, we need to stay true to you. We need to keep short accounts with you, Lord, when we do wrong. To be, have open and transparent hearts. And not only with you, Lord, but with others also. If there's anything, Lord, in our heart that is holding us back, Lord, in, from enjoying a good and right relationship with others, maybe we need to put it right. Oh, Lord, wonderful, wonderful truth, forgiveness. May we now lift our hearts and lift our songs, Lord, in response. You have taken us as a broken vessel and made us whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together. We're going to be close our service this morning with amazing grace. How sweet the scene that saved a wretch like me. and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ for to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen